The last time I spoke at Sanctuary, I spoke on the incident of the fig tree that Jesus rebuked because it didn't have any fruit on it. And now I've been given this morning the story of Jesus of the vines and the grapes. I suppose my next one will be on the parable of the Christmas tree from the Gospel of St. Thomas. There are, of course, strong parallels between the fig tree story and the discourse of Jesus about the vine. So I was sorely tempted to go back to my fig sermon and delete the word fig wherever I found it and replace it with the word grapes. And then I wouldn't have had to prepare a new sermon. But then I remembered what a wonderful recall of the sermons that you hear that you all have. And so you would know right away that it was a repeat sermon were I to do it. So I've had to write a new one. This is the last in this series of the seven I am's of Jesus in John's Gospel. The final one, I am the vine. And maybe they were prompted in Jesus' minds by the sharing of that last meal with his disciples as he took the cup. And maybe the thought came into his mind, yep, I am the vine. Let me start by saying that in describing himself as the vine, Jesus was making another profound and challenging statement about himself. You see, as we heard in our Old Testament reading, the vine and the vineyard was an important symbol standing for the nation of Israel. And his disciples knew that. The trouble with that vine and that vineyard of Israel and Judah was that they either produced no grapes or bad grapes, which is why, in that passage we heard, the vineyard was to be broken up. And Jesus is saying here that he is the new, true, good vine, just as he is the new Adam or the new covenant or the new bread, the new shepherd and the new and living way. And then profoundly he goes on to say that every human being can be directly connected to his life by being a branch of that vine. It's another picture of what it means to be converted, to be a Christian. We have pictures of new birth, of moving from darkness to life, of being adopted, of receiving living water. And here we have the picture of being a branch of the vine that is Jesus himself, drawing life and energy and growth and fruitfulness from the original true vine. And wonderfully, there is no limit to the number of branches that this vine can hold. It's much, much bigger than the biggest vine in the world, which is, does anybody know where it is? The biggest vine in the world is at Hampton Court Palace. Mind you, I I expect Donald Trump would probably say he's got a bigger and older one on a golf course somewhere, and that it produces the best grapes that have ever been had in the history of the world. This poor specimen at Hampton Court is 250 years old. It was planted by Capability Brown. The longest branch is 36 and a half meters. Oh, sorry, I forgot. My MP, Jacob Rees-Mogg, says that from now on, only imperial measures are allowed to be used and spoken. Be warned, going metric from now on will probably attract the death penalty. So I'll rephrase that. The longest vine in Hampton Court is 120 feet, 
or if you prefer, 80 cubits or seven and a quarter perches. The average annual crop is 660 pounds of grapes, which you can buy in September in the shop in Hampton Court Palace. What a terrific crop of fruit. Thousands of grapes bursting with taste and sweetness, delighting all who taste them, and given an added flavor by knowing, as we say these days, its provenance, where it's come from and its history. And it's fruit that I want to particularly concentrate on, certainly in the first part of this talk here. And I'm not starting with the vine, or the branches, or Jesus, but with this question which I want to ask is, you know, what is our purpose in life? Why are we here? What are we here for? Wow, that's a big jump, you might say. How did you get to that from this passage? Well, I get it from verse 10. And verse 6, but I chose you and appointed you. Why? So that you might go and bear fruit. Fruit that will last. And again in verse 6, Jesus says, This is to my Father's glory. What is? That you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Therefore, one answer, certainly, to the question, what is our purpose as Christians, is to be bearers or producers of fruit. Now, interestingly, if you go back to the beginning of scriptures in Genesis, you find this uh, statement. Um, You find the words that God first speaks to human beings. And you might suppose that the first word God says to human beings are, Obey my commandments, walk in all my ways, or love me with all your heart, soul and strength. Not a bit of it. The very first words God says to human beings in Genesis chapter 1 are these. Be fruitful and increase in number. That's the commission, if you like, that he gives to this new race of people that he's created. Put more basically, go and make lots of babies. Go and enjoy yourself and in so doing, populate the earth and increase as a family. So you can say that our chief purpose in being here is to be fruitful, to produce and to reproduce, to bring into existence fruits that we will enjoy, but more importantly, that others will taste and enjoy. You know, here's another first, you will know that the first miracle that Jesus did was not to remove human misery such as a lifelong illness, or to satisfy a pressing need of hunger as in a famine, or to bring back to life a dead person. No, his first miracle was to help make a party which was in danger of flagging go much better by supplying more wine. And not just a dozen bottles of wine or two cases of wine. No, towards the end of the party as a sign of God's generosity and his purpose in life, Jesus supplies that party with the equivalent of over 900 bottles of wine because that's how much those six stone jars held. Now, 
Had he taken just one of those six stone jars, that would have given 150 bottles of wine. Surely plenty enough. But obviously in Jesus' eyes it wasn't. So his first miracle is an outrageous, almost funny demonstration of fruitfulness and reproduction. He didn't come to bring a kill joy religion, but a bring joy religion. And then St. Paul says to us in Romans 7, You belong to Christ, why? In order that you might bear fruit for God. And one of his prayers for the Colossian Christians was that God would fill them with the knowledge of his will so that they might live a life worthy of the Lord, please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work. Bearing fruit in every good work is a key purpose of Christians, if not the key purpose of Christians. So, we're to be fruit producers, fruit bearers. Okay, my second question is, what is meant by fruit? What does fruit stand for? Clearly, we're not supposed to stand with our arms outstretched and wait for bunches of grapes to miraculously appear at our fingertips. Although I expect somewhere in the world you can find Christians who believe that's what we're supposed to do, along with handling poisonous snakes and things like that. I think there are two answers that we can say what is meant by fruit. And the first one um, we can go back to the Old Testament for, but put a New Testament slant on it. As you've just heard, the first words of command was to be fruitful and increase in number. And throughout those early books of the Bible, that that phrase, be fruitful and increase in number, appears frequently. It's said of Noah and uh, Adam and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. They're all told to be fruitful and increase in number, which is what they did. And then it got them into trouble in Egypt because it says... Uh, the Exodus says the Israelites were exceedingly fruitful. They multiplied greatly, increased in numbers, and became so numerous that the land was filled with them. Now, given that the Old Testament is primarily a picture for us of how to live and shouldn't be taken, in this sense, too literally, I think it would be fair to say that Christians are encouraged not so much as to have large families, but to bring to birth new Christians and make new disciples. So one of the marks of a healthy Christian or a healthy church or a healthy denomination which is uh, part of the vine is that new disciples are being added. When Paul says to the Colossian Christians the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world I think he means new disciples are being made and new churches are being established. And thank God that is still going on in this country and around the world. But it is a challenge for us. And let's be honest, I think we feel it a burden. If we ask how many people have we brought into birth as new disciples, that's a challenge for us, isn't it? And we can't get very down about that. Uh, though it did occur to me that in preparing this talk that maybe we should think about having more fun 
uh, an enjoyment in this disciple-making business. After all, making babies is supposed to be a fun activity, so maybe making disciples should have something of fun and excitement about it too. Something to think about, maybe. But there's a challenge for us. We need our fruit of the fruit of all saints needs to be that people somewhere, maybe only ones and twos, are coming in to a new relationship and becoming a branch of Jesus. The second aspect of fruit is not about increasing numbers in the church, but producing those qualities and those activities that bring about the fullness of life that Jesus talked about in John 10.10. 10. And the most familiar passage of scripture, as you will know about this, is in Galatians. The fruits of the Spirit being love, joy, peace, forbearance, gentleness, kindness, goodness, and faithfulness, and self-control. And although there many of them are experienced inwardly, they're only um, real, if you like, when they're lived out in relationship to other people. Uh, I suppose you can be kind to yourself. Well, indeed you can. But kindness is meant to be expressed towards other people, isn't it? And uh, peace can be inner peace, but it also can be making peace and sharing peace with others. So our those fruits of the Spirit are meant to be lived out uh, as kindness to others, putting up with difficult people, learning self-control when you want to throttle somebody, um, being faithful in relationships as well as faithful to God. And beyond that, the fruits that God wants to see produced by his church include things like an end to slavery, an end to exploitation, an end to a life of crime, an end to lives blighted by drugs or poverty or lack of education or abusive systems. And thank God, very often, Christians have been at the forefront of that kind of fruit work. I don't know if you caught it on the BBC News website this week. There was an interesting item called Choosing Between God and the Gang. And it was a little video piece about the story of a small church in El Salvador, which was basically a church for former gang members in a town which was absolutely dominated by, controlled by, gangs. The pastor, covered in tattoos, was an ex-gang member. And on the piece, he says, he couldn't tell you how many people he had actually killed because he'd lost count. But now he's a born-again Christian, a branch of Christ, and his work now is to work with gang members recently released from prison to bring them into new life. The pastor says, I'm a walking testimony of God's power to change people. It's still on the BBC website, Google El Salvador. That's fruit-producing work amongst some of the toughest and, humanly speaking, ugliest people there are. Then thirdly, how are we to produce this fruit, this abundance of fruit that will benefit the world and resound to God's glory? Well, there are two answers to this. The first one is, no branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. And neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Eleven times... In 15 verses, the word abide or remain appears in this passage. 
As branches are connected to the main trunk of the vine, so Christians are connected to Jesus, drawing that life and power and inspiration from him. And the Greek word that is used here has two ideas. Firstly, it has the idea of taking up residence in someone's house. So, the two disciples on the road to Emmaus pressed that stranger to abide with them. Come and stay in our house. And the people of the village that the Samaritan women belonged to, when they heard the conversation, they pressed Jesus to abide with them. Come and stay with us. Which is why this word is usually translated in the older versions by abide. Uh, I must, you must abide in me. In our version, it's remain. And the second idea of remaining is, this is not a fleeting visit. This is not a pop-in on a Sunday for half an hour to say hello and pop out again. This is about going on, continuing to be connected to, living in the life of Jesus. It is for the long term. It is not about fleeting visits. But you know, Jesus also talks about not only us being in him, but him being in us. It's a, basically, it's a kind of a total overlap. So he says, I need to remain in you and you need to remain in me. Just as in that famous verse in Revelation, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone will open, I will come in and sit down and eat with him. So it is true that without Jesus, without being connected to him, we can produce little or no fruit. But it's also true that for the most part, God chooses to produce fruit through his branches, through Christians. There is a saying that goes like this. By himself, God won't. By ourselves, we can't. But together with God, we can. So there is a partnership between the branches of the vine and the trunk and its roots. Both need each other to produce that fruit. Likewise, there's a partnership between God and his people, which is necessary to bring about the kingdom of God, whether that be in the making of disciples or the changing of the world. Here's a more modern example of connectedness that Jesus might have used where he is today. Yesterday, I bought a second-hand electric car in an effort to be a little bit greener. And one of the questions I had to ask and you is, how do you charge the battery and how long does it take? Well, there are various ways, I won't bore you with it, but the most common way for me will be that every day I will connect up the car to a plug in our house or a special unit on the wall and for around, depending which one, seven to eight hours or 13 hours, that car will be being charged because it's connected to the energy in our house. And then I shall be able to go around distributing the fruit of non-pollution, feeling very smug and self-satisfied, for about 90 miles, if I choose. (laughs) But then when I get back home again, I will need to connect up to be recharged. You see, without the power from the wall, the washing machine or the kettle or car is useless. But unless things are connected to those plugs... That energy which is sitting, if you like, in our plugs, in the wires in our house, it's doing nothing. It's dormant. There has to be that connection and a switch on 
so that energy flows from the car or to the kettle or the washing machine and then things happen. Now, I'm not going to go on to say, well, okay, that's a lovely picture, but what do you actually mean by being connected to Jesus? So that's the next one. That's, that's another sermon, really, but you can probably think of the most obvious ways that being connected with, and clearly fund, at the heart of that, it's not the only thing, at the heart of that is studying his word and, and prayer. But there are many other things. The second thing, and very quickly, and I'm not going to spend too much time out, um, is that it's not enough to be remaining in the vine, connected to Jesus. There has to be that process of pruning takes place. And, uh, and that can sometimes be a painful process. And indeed, it can be so painful that Jesus says, if there isn't any fruit on the branch, then actually all it's good for is to be taken off and put on the fire. And even then it's pretty useless because of all woods, vine wood is useless for burning. You don't get any heat out of it or anything. So that is a challenge to the church. It is a challenge to us as Christians that uh, for all our words, for our songs, if we're not producing fruit in some way, then we're in danger of not just being pruned but being cut off. That's a kind of somber uh, word uh, to end on um, and it probably merits a whole new sermon on its own but I want us just to uh, not dwell on that but to think that our calling is to be fruitful people in small ways and in bigger ways our calling is to try is to bring through God's help and the power of the Holy Spirit people to new births so that they are grafted into this vine Our calling is to be connected to Jesus so that we continue to draw day by day strength from him so that he can work through us.